Section 11 of Supermind by Randall Garrett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 Lou didn't wake up until the plane was dropping toward the Washington airfield, and when she did awaken, it was as if she had merely come out of an especially deep sleep. Malone was standing over her, which was far from a coincidence. He had been waiting and watching virtually every minute since takeoff. During his brief periods of rest, Her Majesty had taken over, and she was now peacefully asleep at the back of the plane, looking a little more careworn, but just as regal as ever. She looked to Malone as if she had weathered a small revolution against her rule, but had managed to persuade the populace, by passing out cookies to the children probably, that all was, in the last analysis, for the best in this best of all possible worlds. She looked, he thought, absolutely wonderful. So did Lou. She blinked her eyes open and moved one hand at her side, and then she came fully awake. Well, she said, and a bright hello to you, Sleuth. If it's not being too banal, where am I? It is, Malone said, but you're in an airplane coming into Washington. We ought to be there in a few minutes. Lou shook her head slowly from side to side. I have never heard any news that sounded better in my entire life, she said. How long ago did we leave Moscow? Our trip to beautiful Moskva, Malone said, ended right after they tried to get you to the hospital by giving you a drugged drink. Do you remember that? I remember it all right, she said. I'm never going to forget that moment. How do you feel, Malone said. Fine, Lou said. And how are you? Me, Malone said. I'm all right. I've been all right. Don't worry about me. Well, one never knows, Lou said, with your cold and all. I think that's better, Malone said hastily. But you're sure you feel fine? Lou nodded. A little tired, maybe, but that's all. She paused. I remember Miss Thompson taking me to the ladies' room. I got pretty sick. But from there on, I'm not sure what happened. I came in, Malone said, and you got out. How brave, Lou said. Not very, Malone said casually. After all, what could happen to me in a ladies' room? You'd be surprised, Lou murmured. And you came and got me, and took me to the plane and all. And I... She hesitated, and for a second she looked very small and wistful. Do you... Do you think they'll do anything to Dad, she said? I don't see why, Malone said confidently. After all, the only thing he did wrong was to get caught, and that's an occupational risk if you're in the spy business. Lots of people get caught. Happens all the time. Don't worry about it. I... All right, she said. I won't, then. Good, Malone said. He fished in his pocket. I've got some pills here, he said, in case you have a headache. The doctor said... I could give them to you if you had a headache, but otherwise I should just forget about them. Lou smiled. I think you'd better just forget about them, she said. Malone's hand came out of his pocket empty. I just want to make sure you're okay, he said. Probably very silly. Of course you're okay. Of course I am, she said. But I don't think you're silly. She smiled again, a very warm smile. Malone took a deep breath and discovered that he hadn't been breathing at all regularly for several minutes. Lou's smile increased a trifle in intensity, and he stopped breathing all over again. 
All things considered, she said, I think you're pretty wonderful, Ken. Malone's voice sounded to him as if it were coming from a great distance. He wondered if the strange feeling in his stomach were the pangs of love or the descent of the plane. Then he realized that he didn't care. Well, well, he said airily. Well, well, well. Frankly, Lou, I'm inclined to agree with you, though I'm not sure about the qualification. Fine thing, she said. Tell a man he's wonderful, and he just nods his head as if he knew it all along. Malone swallowed hard. Maybe I did, he said. And how did you come to this startling conclusion? It was Lou who broke the light mood of their speech first. Look, Ken, she said seriously, I'm the daughter of an enemy spy. You know that. You're an FBI agent. So what, he said. So, she said, you don't treat me like the daughter of a spy. You treat me just like anybody else. I do not, Malone said instantly. All right, she said and shrugged. But I'm sure that none of this is in the FBI manual for daughters of convicted spies. Now you look, Malone said. Just what do you think this is? The McCarthy era? Any way I treat you, it has nothing to do with your father. He's a spy, and we caught him, and we sent him back to Moscow. That's our job. But all this about the sins of the fathers being visited on the heads of the children, even until the seventh generation, this is just plain silly. You're you. You're not your father. You haven't done anything. Why should I treat you as if you have? How do you know I'm not a spy, too, she said. Because, Malone said flatly, I know. Really, she said softly, do you really? Malone opened his mouth, shut it, and then started again. Strictly speaking, he said carefully, I don't know, but we're in the United States now, where a person is considered innocent until proven guilty. And that, Lou said, is all you're going on, I suppose. Not all, Malone said. I didn't think so, Lou said, still smiling. Don't ask me how, Malone said, but we're pretty sure you knew nothing about your father's activities. Forget it. Lou looked suddenly, slightly disappointed. Malone wondered why. Of course, there was one more reason, and maybe she'd thought of that. It does make it easier, he said, that you happen to be a beautiful girl. She smiled again and started to say something, but she never got the chance. The landing gear of the aircraft bumped gently against the runway, and the ship rolled slowly into a stop. A second passed. From the back of the plane, a voice said, Are we back in Washington, Mr. Malone? That's right, Miss Thompson, Malone told the Queen. And Miss Garbivich? I'm fine, Miss Thompson, Luba said. She swung her feet around to the deck. Wait a minute, Malone said. Do you think you ought to get up? Lou's smile seemed to reduce him to small, very hot ashes. Ken, she said, the doctor said I was fine. So what are you worrying about? I can get up. I'll be all right. Oh, okay, he said, and stepped back. Her Majesty had already left the plane. Lou got up and wavered just a little. Malone held out his arms and found her in them before he had thought about it. A long time seemed to pass. Malone wasn't sure whether he was standing still because he wanted to or because he was absolutely incapable of motion. Lou didn't seem in any hurry to break away either. Then she put her arms around his neck. Sleuth, she said, don't you ever follow up a hint? Hint, Malone said. 
Damn it, Lou said in a soft, sweet voice. Kiss me, Ken. Malone had no answer to that, at least no verbal answer. One didn't seem to be needed. When he finally came up for air, he said, Lou? Yes, Ken? Where are you going from here? Lou stepped back a pace. What, she said? I mean, back to New York, Malone said, or someplace else. I mean, well, what are you going to do? Oh, Lou said, oh, yes. I'll be going back to New York, after all, Ken. I do have a living to make, such as it is, and Sir Louis is expecting me. I don't know, Malone said, but it still sounds funny. A girl like you working for, well, for the psychical research people. Ghost and ectoplasm and all that. Lou stepped back another pace. Now wait a minute, she said. You seem to need their information, all right. But that was, oh well, Malone said, never mind. Maybe I'm silly. It really doesn't matter. I guess it doesn't now, she said, except that it does mean I've got to leave for New York almost at once. Can you cut out that almost, Malone said, because I've got to be there myself, and right away, if you hurry, we can get the same plane. That would be great, she said. Okay then, Malone said. Don't you worry about a thing. I'll take care of reservations and everything. My, my, Lou said what it must be like to have all that pull and influence. What, Malone said. Lou grinned. Nothing, she said. Nothing. Then it's all settled. I'll take care of the reservations, and we'll go in together, Malone said. Fair enough, Lou said. My fine feathered fed. Actually, it took Malone nearly three hours to get everything set in Washington for his New York departure. He had to make a verbal report to Andrew J. Burris first and that consumed quite a lot of time, since Burris was alternately shocked, horrified, gleeful, and confused about the whole trip, and spent most of his time interrupting Malone and crying out for God's vengeance, mercy, justice, or understanding. Then Malone had to dictate a longer report for the written record. This didn't take quite as long, since there were no interruptions. But by the time it was over, he felt as if he were going out to become a Carthusian monk. He felt, as he rubbed his raw throat, that it wouldn't be a bad idea at all to take a nice vow of silence for a while. He could write people little notes, and they would all treat him kindly and gently. He would be pointed out to strangers, and people would try to do him favors. Unfortunately, he couldn't take the vow at once. During his absence, his desk log showed Several calls had come in, all of which had to be taken care of at once. Some of them dealt with evidence or statements from old cases. Some were just nuisances. The most urgent was from Dr. O'Connor at Yucca Flats. If you're not too busy, O'Connor said, in his icily polite tone, I would like to have Miss Thompson back as soon as possible. He sounded as if Malone had borrowed his scalpel. I'll see what I can do, Malone said carefully. There is a new series of tests, O'Connor said, on which I am now at work. The assistance of Miss Thompson would be invaluable to me at this time. After he had hung up, Malone called Her Majesty at her Washington hotel. She was very glad of the chance to return to Yucca Flats, she said. There, Malone knew, she would be able to return to her accustomed dignity as the Queen of the Greater English Commonwealth. 
a district which, in her mind, seemed to include the greater part of the Western world. On her present mission, she was playing Miss Thompson, and though the idea of going about incognito had its charms, it became a little dull after a while. The adventuring was fine, although a little rougher than she thought it would be. The sight of the Queen's own FBI in action was still a powerful attraction for Her Majesty, but the peace and quiet and dignity of her own royal palace won out without too much trouble. Of course, Malone said, you'll be on call in case I need you. I'm always in touch with my subjects, Her Majesty said with dignity, and most especially with you, Sir Kenneth, I shall so remain. And then there was a little paperwork to take care of. By the time Malone had finished, he would have been glad to teleport to New York on his own. But on reflection, he decided that he would much rather travel with Lou and hurried down to the airport. By the time the plane landed at LaGuardia, and they had taken a copter to the east side terminal and a taxi to the big blue aluminum and glass Ravel building, Malone had reached a new decision. It would be nothing short of wonderful, he felt, if he could spend the rest of his life traveling around with Luba Garbivich. Of course, that name was something of a handicap. It was hardly a romantic one, he wondered very briefly, whether or not Luba Malone was an improvement. But he buried that thought before it got any further. Enough, he told himself firmly, was enough. It's been a nice trip, Lou said. She too sounded subdued, as if she were thinking about something terribly serious. Great, Malone said happily. A wonderful trip. I enjoyed being with you, Lou said. Me too, Malone said. He paid off the taxi driver and they got out at the corner. Malone went to the newsstand there and picked up a copy of the Post. That, Lou said over his shoulder, is one whole hell of a headline. It filled the entire page, four lines of thick black capitals. Judge drops union suit. Well, well, Malone said. Let's see what this is all about. He flipped to page three. Lou craned her neck over his shoulder, and they read the start of the story together. District Court Rules Union Has No Case New York, A.P., August 23rd. Judge James Lefkowitz of the New York Supreme Court ruled today that the International Truckers Brotherhood had no grounds for their suit against the United Transport Company and its officers. The action, a bitterly fought contest, involved a complaint by the Brotherhood that UTC had violated their contract with the Brotherhood by hiring unqualified drivers to work for the corporation. In a statement made immediately after the ruling, Judge Lefkowitz said, It is obvious that a man with a state-certified chauffeur's license is not an unqualified driver. Effects of this ruling are thought to be far-reaching. Comment from the International Truckers' Brotherhood. There was more to it, a lot more, but Malone didn't feel like reading it. It sounded just as confused as he had expected news to sound these days, but it also sounded a little dull. He could feel Lou's breathing against his ear as he read. He lost interest in the paper almost at once. My, my, she said, and I expected a real expose of a story after that headline. That is an expose, Malone said, but I'm not sure what of. It sounded pretty confused, Lou said. 
Everything seems to these days, Malone said, including any story of what's been happening during the last little while. Agreed, Lou said, without argument. Listen, Malone said suddenly, would it help if I went up and told Sir Lewis that there's no mark against your record? Mark, Lou said, against my record? Well, Malone said, I mean, well, isn't he the sort of man who'd fire somebody because of, because of something like this? You mean because I know an FBI man, Lou said? I... Never mind, she said. I know what you mean, and he won't. He'll understand. She came round to face him and patted his cheek. Thanks, she said. Thanks a lot, anyway. If there's anything I can do... There won't be, Lou said. You'll call me, though, about tonight? Sure I will, Malone said. He had hoped that the tentative date he had made with her for that evening wouldn't be broken up because of a sudden onslaught of work. I'll let you know before five for sure. Fine, Lou said. I'll wait to hear from you. She turned to walk away. Hey, Malone said, wait a minute. What, she said, turning again. Malone looked judicious. I think he said, waitily, that considering all the fun we've had, all the adventuring and everything else, the least you could do would be to kiss me goodbye. On Fifth Avenue? No, Malone said. He tapped his lips. Here. She laughed, bent closer, and pecked him on the cheek. Then before he could say anything else, she was gone. End of Chapter 9